Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show and happy Friday. The Prince and Princess of Wales, William and Kate, are in America, so all eyes are on them for their big moment, right? Mm, not exactly, thanks to William's brother Harry and his wife Meghan Markle dropping a trailer. They had to do it right now for their upcoming Netflix show. They had to wait until William and Kate got into America to drop their Netflix trailer because you know how it's like you have the two kids and everyone's paying attention to the one kid because he's doing something cute or something fun. And after a little while, the other kid gets annoyed. (laughs) And the other kid does something to get attention. Maybe they hurt the first kid. They throw a tantrum of some sort. But that's what's happening here. This is the Sussex tantrum. Look at us. Look at us. We live here. Why are you looking at them? They live over there. Look at me. Look at me. That should be the real title of Megan's podcast. (laughs) Maybe version two after archetypes is over, which I think, thankfully, mercifully, it is. Uh, We'll get just look at me. (laughs) <laughs> All right, we're going to go in depth on the Royals with my pal Dan Wooten. He's host of GB News' Dan Wooten tonight, as well as a Daily Mail columnist. Dan, what do you think of my proposal for a, the new name? I think it would fit the content, Megan. Put it that way. <laughs> uh, so, yes, her podcast, thank God, is ending. <laughs> I know you and I have had to do it for you know professional purposes, but... What sane person would have chosen to listen to this thing? We'll get to that in one second, but let's start with the Netflix docu-series, which I think is going to be six episodes long, and they chose to wait until the moment William and Kate were here to drop the trailer. For those of you who haven't seen it, it's only a minute long. Here it is. Why did you want to make this documentary? No one sees what's happening behind closed doors. I had to do everything I could to protect my family. When the stakes were this high, doesn't it make more sense to hear our story from us? Oh, my Lord. Then it ends with just... Harry and Megan and a, another beauty shot <clears throat> of them. The whole thing is just pictures of them. They clearly have had a photographer following them around from the beginning of their relationship. It's absurd. It's absurd. The pictures of them, their most intimate moments. Don't you do that, Dan? Don't you just have a third party there to photograph all your most intimate, loving, sad, happy moments in the privacy of your own kitchen? What do you make of this move to drop it now and the messages that we are to glean from it? My goodness, thing, and I actually don't know where to start. I have so much to say. I think the first thing is let's respond directly to Megan. She says, when the stakes are this high, wouldn't it be better to hear the story from us? Actually, no. And I'll explain why. You have been proven to bring out a tissue of lies anytime it suits you about the royal family 
There were over 20 in the Oprah Winfrey interview alone. There were more in the court case. Uh, there were more in the book by your odd little cheerleader bloke, Omen Scobie. You are a proven liar. So no, I don't want to hear a story where the stakes are so high from you. And I know exactly what you mean by that, Megan. What you mean is that the stakes are so high because you want to bring down the royal family. You want to destroy the British monarchy, an institution which, look, Megan, I hold my hands up. It has its faults. Of course it does. But it is a very popular system here in the UK. It is overwhelmingly supported by the citizens of Britain. And we want to give the new king, who is still grieving, his mother, Queen Elizabeth the Great, as I refer to her, we want to give him a chance. So we don't want this pathetic little Netflix series full of your lies, which is clearly going to claim that Britain is some sort of racist hellhole, which it's provably not, which is clearly going to claim that the royal family is structurally and institutionally racist, which again, I believe it is not to try and damage your own flesh and blood. Well, shame on you. So actually, no, I don't want to hear the story from you. I would actually love to hear the story, Megan, from the King, from Queen Camilla and from William and Kate. But guess what? They can't speak out and they can't speak out because of the constitutional monarchy system, which makes it incredibly difficult for them to engage in this sort of tat for tat. So the worst thing is, is that Harry and Meghan know they basically have a free ride to say what the hell they want against four individuals who do not have the same freedom of speech as they do. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. They know that their hands are tied and these two sitting out in Montecito can sling whatever mud they decide to invent. And they're just required to take it over there on the on the other side of the pond. The trailer seems like it's going to take aim at William and Kate, but in particular, Kate. Uh, a lot of her friends have pointed out, according to the press, they they seem to find the one photo of Kate Middleton in which she's not smiling. I mean, every single photo of her, she's got a big smile. She uses it generously. She's not she doesn't have the resting bitch face as so many of us does do. She's she's always smiling and waving and she seems like a pretty friendly person. This picture, we're showing it for the listening audience. She's sitting uh, in this, I think it's a chapel and she is stone faced looking away. She clearly doesn't know the cameras are on her, but no one's smiling in it. Uh, Megan's behind her looking doe eyed. Uh, and, they, and they chose to put this in the trailer for what purpose in your view? Because they intend to try and portray William and Kate as the bad guys. I mean, there's a macro level to this, Megan. It's like, you know, British royal family, old, colonial, racist, bad. The Sussexes in their Montecito mansion woke, very rich and good. That's going to be the macro side of this Netflix reality series. But you've got to think back to why Meghan has such a problem. Uh, with the new Princess of Wales, Kate Middleton. And I'll tell you why. Because Meghan didn't like the fact that Kate was popular behind the scenes in the royal family. She was popular with the staff, Meghan. She was popular with the courtiers. And do you know why it was? Because she treated them with respect. She believes that folk, even if they're down the ladder from you, should be treated appropriately and kindly and with dignity. Uh, that's how Kate operates. Now, very quickly, Kate realised, and I was reporting on this, you know, I've been reporting on this for years and years and years. So I was reporting on it when Meghan was in the royal family and when actually 
uh, the facade was still there. Outwardly, they were all mates. They were the fab four. But Kate behind the scenes, I was the first person to report this, actually uh, hauled Megan over the coals, over the way that she was speaking to her staff at Kensington Palace. Megan uh, has been accused numerous times uh, by former staff members of being a bully. And Kate called her up and said, look, this isn't the way that you treat my stuff. This is not how you speak to my stuff. This is not how we do business. And so from that moment on, Megan has added in for Kate. There's obviously the infamous bridesmaid dress fitting where they each made each other cry, if, if you believe that. Uh, and there's no positive relationship between them anymore. So now, uh, rather than taking the high road and doing something that would shock the world by maybe paying tribute to them, saying something kind about them um, and and just taking issue with maybe royal life and how oppressive it could be. It looks like we haven't seen it, but it looks like they're going to trash them. And and the, there are other indicators that they're going to trash them, including the timing of this release, uh, the Netflix series at all. You know, within moments, it feels like after Queen Elizabeth's death, as as King Charles is still getting his footing as the new monarch. And on top of that, just as Will and Kate come to America and Meghan's stenographer, or that he likes to call himself a journalist, Omid Scobie, um, he he decides to actually give up to give it up and and sort of say why they did this uh, trailer when they did. He tweets out, if tomorrow is Prince William's Super Bowl, here's your halftime show and releases it includes a, a link to the Netflix series, uh, to the to the trailer. So they're not even trying to hide that they're trying to poke William and Kate. No, Megan, there always used to be this sort of unwritten rule in the royal family that when principals are on tour overseas, the other senior members of the royal family step back and they allow the tour and the good work on the tour to take the spotlight. Well, that obviously all went out the window with Harry and Meghan even when they were in the royal family. But this is egregious, Megan. They released the trailer on the day that William and Kate were trying to build up to this big Earthshot prize, which is their moment in Boston. And they knew it would steal all of the attention away from William and Kate. It would make the visit incredibly awkward for William and Kate. And look, as far as I'm concerned now, Megan, and from speaking to my royal sources, there's no going back from this. This trailer was a declaration of war by the Sussexes. I'll tell you behind the scenes, King Charles has held out hope for some time that he's going to be able to come to some sort of uh, peace deal with Harry and the royal family. I think, Meghan, that is incredibly naive. I think William has known for some time that this relationship is as good as over. Because remember, it's not just the Netflix series, we've then got Harry's autobiography, Spare, coming in the first week of January. And as you say, the Queen is barely in the ground. King Charles is still grieving. He hasn't even had his coronation. They don't give a damn about royalty. In fact, with the Queen gone, they want to do all they can to destroy this institution. The irony, of course, Megan, is they still run around America using the titles the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Why? Why? If you hate this organization so much, hand them back. Stop using them. Go and be normal citizens. And for King Charles, I think the choice is very clear now. If you allow Harry and Meghan 
to keep their royal titles, you are going to be made a fool of. Strip them of the titles, strip their children of the ability to be a prince and a princess and show them that now they are now shut out of this family because of the lies that they're telling and the destruction that they want to wreak. What would be the timing of that, Dan? Is there risk to King Charles if he does that after the trailer? I mean, after the actual series drops. So it looks, you know, like a tit for tat. You know, isn't he supposed to be above that kind of thing, getting bothered by a silly Netflix documentary? So if you were advising the royal family, what would you advise about timing on stripping of titles? Yeah, he's been holding this as almost like a little threat, a little threat. You know, if you're too nasty to me in the book, the titles could go. But again, I think he has been incredibly naive. I think his advisors have been incredibly naive. Harry and Meghan. I, I've described Montecito this week as ground zero of the plot to bring down the monarchy. This isn't just about a book now. This isn't just about a Netflix series. This is about a long running operation to try and paint the royal family as a racist institution. And we know in these woke times, Megan, that could have serious consequences, especially for the way that the British royal family is viewed overseas. So mm. they want to cause ultimate damage. I think the royal family have to become far more aggressive now in how they deal with Harry and Meghan, how they deal with their lies. When the Queen was alive, she was old school and she was calm and she was understated. And of course, that's why she took a couple of days after the Oprah Winfrey interview and released that very famous statement that we'll never forget, where she said, recollections may vary in regards to the interview. Translation, the big fat liars. But the Queen is gone now. And William and Charles are much more modern media operators. They've got to get with the program here and actually understand that Harry and Meghan are out to destroy the institution that they have dedicated their lives to. And I think what's most revolting about it for me is this is about undermining the life's work of Queen Elizabeth II. We always hear Harry and Meghan talk about how much respect they had for the late Queen Meghan, like how they did. I mean, they've even used an image of Meghan doing her best to look sad at the funeral in the trailer for the Netflix documentary. They have used that period of grief as a marketing opportunity. Just think for a moment how wrong that is. Well, you raise a good point because the queen was able to dismiss them with a three line, you know, three word line in a way that King Charles cannot and Prince William cannot. It's a new day and the public doesn't have the same adoration for them that they did for Queen Elizabeth. So the the institution was Queen Elizabeth in the eyes of the public. And so, yes, they they loved it and they loved her and they would be deferential to her and they wouldn't really agree with a critic of hers. But it's a new day. And if these guys don't learn how to street fight because the Sussexes are clearly ready for a street fight and itching for one, they're going to lose. Like they're going to have to get a little vicious or they're going to lose this PR battle. And that means the end of the monarchy. I mean, it's a pretty lengthy, robust institution. Um, and I'm sure they'd hate to see it go down because of some upset wokesters out in Montecito. Indeed. And look, I think already we've seen that Harry and Meghan are winning this PR war at the moment because they are sophisticated. They've got massive Hollywood companies behind them, Spotify and Netflix. They have the money and they have the freedom too. 
Mm. Of course, that's what I think is so unfair about this. King Charles, I mean, imagine the situation. You lose your mother, all of a sudden you're into the biggest job in your life, in your mid-70s. He's got a lot going on, but he's actually got to tackle this problem because deep down in his heart, he loves Harry. And he's always thought, my own son isn't going to try and destroy my reign as king. But he's wrong, Meghan. He's wrong. That's exactly what Harry is trying to do. And whether he's doing it because of the malign influence of his wife, Meghan, who we know has already destroyed her own family, the Markles, I think, knowing the Markles very well, incredibly unfairly, but we know they have this in there. So it doesn't really matter what the motivation is, if it's Meghan's fault, if it's being driven by Harry. The point is, King Charles, you've got to understand your son no longer has your best intentions in mind at all. And I think at the, the moment that they accept that, the moment that actually the royal family can start a proper fight they um, would do well to put themselves through the torture that we've had to and listen to some of these podcasts she's doing, because there's a line in, in at the very end of the most recent one in which she yet again telegraphs a warning to them, similar as she's been doing in some of the print uh, pieces she's given interviews to in, in saying, you know, I'm silent for now, but I might I might not stay silent. She says in the latest one. This is what I wanted to leave you with. This is the last line of her last podcast. This is what I want to leave you with. It's from a couplet within a piece of writing by a Greek poet. And he says, what didn't you do to bury me? But you forgot that I was a seed. <laughs> OK, hello, King Charles. It's an, they need out, to pay attention. an out threat. It is an out and out threat. And as you say, she made a virtually identical threat Uh in the Cut magazine interview. Remember, that was yeah. when the Queen was on her deathbed. She didn't care, uh, didn't care about the stress uh, that it caused the Queen, whose health was suffering seriously. So that's the thing. At the end of the day, Megan, this is the, the next six months is the most risky period for the royal family because I do believe, in my soul of souls, I do believe that at the end of the day, the public in Britain have already seen through Harry and Meghan. And I think in time, the American public and internationally people will see through them too. But this is their moment of maximum power where they have an opportunity at least to cause potentially terminal damage to the royal family in the TV series, in the book, in a series of interviews that they have planned at a time when King Charles is weak, is grieving, is not conscious of the job he's trying to do because he's preparing for his coronation, which is going to be a huge event, which usually monarchs are able to spend a great deal of time focusing on. But in this case, he can't because there is a threat that comes very seriously from Harry and Meghan. I will say, however, though, at the end of the day, uh, Meghan, I do believe that th this couple are not going to be beloved in the way that Queen Elizabeth II was and Prince Philip or Princess Diana or, or William and Kate, I really think that in the end, the public are going to consider them much more like the Duke of Windsor, who abdicated from the throne because of his love for the American divorcee, Wallace Simpson. Because I think fundamentally, British people at least respect members of the royal family who are not out for the betterment of themselves and who are focused on a life of duty. So I think in the long run, Mm -hmm. Harry and Meghan will not be supported by the public. Well, in, in a way, we've the seen the difference. Six months is risky. 
then we've seen the difference between that approach uh, on each side this week. So William and Kate come to America to promote this Earthshot charity that he's pushing. You get like just over a million dollars. Five people do if they're working in profound ways on climate change. And everybody cares about climate change. You know, we have political fights over it, but very few people are left disagreeing that it exists and is a problem uh, that we'd like to help reverse. It's just a question of how and how aggressively and all that. Um, So they come over here to sort of promote that. And in my view, Dan, and I don't, you know, I don't follow the Royals as closely as you do, but I, I keep an eye on them. These two do not seek a lot of attention. They they don't they, they're not running around constantly coming in front of the cameras in America and trying to get on TV and trying to, you know, do charitable events that are also beneficial to them and the royal family, like a little bit here and there. But to me, it doesn't seem like they seek the spotlight that much. They go to a ribbon cutting. They go to a, a homeless shelter. They do the things that the royals do over there. So now they've done it. Now they I don't they haven't been over here together in years. Um, they do it. And what are these other two? Like, like I said, the toddlers have to raise their own hands, like back to us, back to us. So it's got to feel like a thumb in the eye to William and Kate. Then you look at what the Sussexes are doing and their own messaging. That trailer, I'm sorry, but it reminded me of, forgive the imagery, Chrissy Teigen had what she said was a miscarriage, later admitted was an abortion. Um, and she put out these photos of herself crying crying hard, distraught in a hospital bed. Okay, I'm sorry, Dan, but I have never taken a photo of myself crying and and certainly never released it to the public saying, please feel sorry for me. I don't understand that mentality. And that is what they've done in this trailer. As I count, I think there are at least two shots of Megan crying. Here's one face in her hands, bent over, distraught with some sort of royal blanket in the background. Um, They've clearly had a photography. Here she is again with his head back, like throwing his head back in despair and her touching her face, clearing tears. Who does this? They want people to feel sorry for them, which is the most unattractive piece of this couple. I completely agree. And you're right to point out this is the first royal tour for William and Kate in eight years to America. So this was meant to be a big deal and they will be devastated that Harry and Meghan have chosen to hijack it in the way that they have. But in terms of the trailer itself, I mean, this series is going to be a tale of victimhood. And sadly, Meghan, in the woke media, we know that you can make lots of money these days for being a victim, especially if your victimhood is in some way connected to identity politics. I'm the same age as Meg, and I find it so terrible that she's chosen to go down this path because we grew up in the 80s and the 90s where we were told that we should live a colorblind life and we should do anything but look at everyone's immutable characteristics and try and be victims. But Megan has realized there's actually a career in being a victim. Obviously, it's bizarre when you're trying to be a victim when you are two of the most privileged, the richest people in the world. They are connected. They have everything that they want. And so that's why, at the end of the day, when it comes to Meghan, she has to focus on race because it is race which is the one unquestionable area. And she knows it is the weak spot for the British royal family, which let's be honest, 
is a white family. Britain is a majority white country. The royal family is white. So that is why Meghan knows that race is where she has to go down uh, the path of in this series. Because yeah, it is that's her, that's the, her card. She's ready to play it. To. Um, before we move on from Kate, I wanted to I wanted to point out my producers pulled the the event at which they grabbed a screen grab from uh, this Commonwealth Day of Service in 2019, making Kate look angry. Um, They used that. We actually went back and looked at it. If you look at images from that same event, there's one of Kate greeting Megan that very day. And she is holding her. She's hugging her. Hello. Clearly giving her a warm embrace. And you can see Megan's face smiling in the photo and Kate's leaning in to give her a nice greeting. Weird, Dan, how that didn't make it into the trailer. Only the shots that will make it look like, oh, poor me. Everyone's mean. Got in there. Yeah, this is when they were still playing friends, Megan. It was actually... Uh, the year after at the same service when I had just broken the story of Megxit where you could cut the tension with a knife because by that point it had all exploded into the open. But look, I don't think these two couples ever really got on, if I'm honest. But at this point, you're right. They were still trying. They were still keeping up appearances, you might say, in public. So it was very telling that in the trailer they want to portray Kate as some sort of evil, nasty figure, Uh, the bad guy, if you like. But if you're trying to portray Kate Middleton as the bad guy, I think you've got an uphill struggle. Well, she certainly doesn't have Meghan Markle's difficult history of of trying to make it in in the royals world as a commoner oh wait yes she does have exactly that history kate middleton and she did just fine because she understood not to make it about herself but to hear megan markle yeah, talk about it now victim. she didn't want to be a victim and you're completely right she had just as much difficult publicity remember it took a long time for william to propose to kate after what had happened with his parents he didn't want to rush into anything at one point they even took a break from each other. They broke up. And the press, the British press, uh, described Kate as Weighty Katie, and that became her nickname. But Kate knew she had to play the long game. And in the end, it worked out. Yeah, so um, this is how Meghan Markle describes her experience. Okay, again, going back to the final episode of her podcast, again, she and Harry reportedly got $50 million from Spotify for this drivel and another hundred million from Netflix for this six part docuseries. It's great. What are they going to do when they run out of things to talk about about themselves? That the only people are tuning in is because of their connection to the royals. They want to hear royal dirt when they actually have to start talking about real things. Things are going to get canceled left and right, like her stupid series, Pearl, about a little woke girl who nobody wanted to hear anything about. So here's Megan on her final podcast for now on um her experience in doing this woke podcast that lectures us all in terms of the language we need to use and how we need to be thinking about and portraying women in film and modern day life. Listen. At times it's been funny, eye-opening, and sometimes uncomfortable. And in that, especially in the discomfort, it made me think of the alchemy process, which is this process in which a really dense, hard piece of material or metal can just be churned and churned and put under so much pressure that you can't begin to imagine how it's going to survive, what's going to come out of that. But when it comes out at the other side, it's gold. 
actual gold. <laughs> I mean, I'm just looking for my sick bucket. Seriously. <laughs> it is mumbo jumbo, Megan. And actually, I've been following the Spotify charts very closely, both in the US and the UK. And Archetypes has plummeted. I mean, this is not a Joe Rogan-style podcast that has a loyal base of listeners. This is a podcast that, yeah, had folk like you and me tuning in for curiosity's sake at the beginning and then realised this is a piece of woke rubbish and switching off forevermore. So I think Spotify will be thinking, I wonder if we've got return on our investment because they didn't really get any revelations about the royal family that Harry and Meghan have saved for Netflix and for Harry's book. And remember, at the end of the day, this all comes down to money, Meghan, Harry and Meghan. And, and, you know, fair enough. They want to be financially independent. They never want to have to run to daddy again because they did bankroll them for many, many years, including all of their time in the royal family when they wanted to move into a new palace and renovate it with beautiful Soho house furniture. Daddy paid for that. So they don't want to do that anymore. But what that means is they have a very short window of earnings potential. This is are throwing out all of the red meat and all of the grenades now because they are realistic about the fact that, as you say, once they have dished all of their royal dirt, their value in the market goes down. Yeah. Then what? They've made the 100 from Netflix, 50 from Spotify. His book, what's that? Another 25 million? Um, yes. So they're t- we're talking $200 million almost in the course of a year, all based on their experiences royals. I mean, really, Harry, she's done nothing. She married him. Um, all based on his royal experience. And once you've exploited that, I don't know how many how many books can you do? I mean, how many times can you tell your, you spill the, the dirt, the tea on your family? Maybe, maybe repeatedly. Maybe that's what he wants to be now. Just that somebody who keeps ripping on his own family forevermore and banking uh, on it or cashing in on it. Um, there is a a scandal uh, within the royal family related to race right now. I'm going to pause the show, take a quick break and pick it up there because Dan's been doing some interesting reporting on the background of the woman who now says she was the victim of an alleged racist working within the royal family. Stand by. That's next. Dan, something happened with the lady in waiting to the queen. She's been with the royal family since 1960. And a woman who was invited to go to Buckingham Palace by Queen Consort Camilla. Something bad happened there where now uh, a, a black British woman is saying she was the victim of racism by the lady in waiting to the to the late queen. Can you explain what happened? Yeah, let me explain, because I think it's important, you know, quickly a little bit about Lady Susan Hussey, who is the lady in waiting in question. She's not just any member of the royal household, Megan. She was the best friend of Queen Elizabeth II. She worked for her as a lady in waiting for 60 years, didn't take any money for that. And just an indication to you as to how important she was to Queen Elizabeth II, Do you remember on the day of Prince Philip's funeral where the Queen was unable to have anyone around her because of the horrific COVID legislation here in the UK? So she sat in the chapel alone, but she was allowed to have one person in the car ride to the chapel for her late husband's funeral. She chose Lady Susan Hussey to be by her side on that day. So they were incredibly close. 
And Lady Susan Hussey has been around the royal family for a long time. She knows what to do, you would think, at events like this. And I was speaking to a friend of hers just this week who said, look, Nelson Mandela adored Lady Susan Hussey. So she's always had a good reputation. Anyway, this woman, Ngozi Falani, who is a British charity worker, goes to the palace this week and posts a transcript of a conversation that she claims took place between herself and Lady Susan Hussey. It features Lady Susan Hussey on numerous occasions pressing Falani to know where she is from, because Falani is a Black British woman who is dressed, Megan, is fair to say, and much of the media won't point this out, but I will, who is dressed at this event in what looks to be African tribal clothing. So you could understand that perhaps there's the outfit. Perhaps when you see someone like that at Buckingham Palace, perhaps you would ask where she is from. But literally within hours of this tweet being posted, the royal PR machine has thrown 83-year-old laden Susie, Susan Hussey under the bus, forced her to resign, issued a groveling apology on her behalf, and almost accepted as fact that this conversation that took place was indeed racist. So Lady Hussey, she's thrown to the wolves, and this yes. woman, Ngozi Falani, then launches a huge media campaign going on the BBC and Sly News, as I call them, and CNN and outlets all around the world saying, this is proof that the royal family is racist. I was subject to abuse, she said, at Buckingham Palace. And the media has just lapped this up, Megan, because on the whole, the media, including in the UK, is anti-monarchy and very woke. But here's the thing. I discovered that Ngozi Falani has actually been one of these Sussex squad members, an extremist supporter of Harry and Meghan for some time. So in March 2021, this is following the Oprah Winfrey interview, Falani had posted on Twitter, our charity supports black women domestic violence survivors. I can't stay silent about this. I admire Megan for speaking out. According to clear definition, it seems Megan is a survivor of domestic violence from her in-laws. And she adds, <laughs> P.S. I'm glad hypocrite Piers left ITV in reference to his role. Piers Morgan's role with Megan. Now, that let's just take a moment to realize that is Ngozi Falani suggesting that King Charles and Camilla subjected Meghan to domestic violence. So she's made that claim. She still accepts Camilla's invitation to go to the palace. She goes and has a conversation with Camilla at the palace, and she just so happens to be subjected to racist abuse. Now, look, I wasn't there for the conversation between Lady Hussey and Fulani. It may have been inappropriate, Meghan, I think of my grandparents' generation. They're the greatest generation. These are the folk who lived through World War II. Sometimes, Megan, they're not used to this woke orthodoxy now that pervades our culture. Sometimes they make some insensitive comments, you might say, to minorities. But Lady Hussey, she a racist, really, for asking for where someone is from? A question that royals have been asking various folk for decades? Or did Fulani have an ulterior motive as a Meghan and Harry Sussex squad extremist to go to this Buckingham Palace event, 
and to find an example of racism. Perhaps it's not one or the other. Perhaps maybe it's somewhere in between. But at the very least, I don't think that we should just be accepting this woman's claim that she was abused at Buckingham Palace as fact, given that she also claims that Charles and Camilla domestically abused Meghan, which is brutally untrue. Dan, they have worse screeners at Buckingham Palace than they do at Mar-a-Lago. You got to do a little... Google searching before you invite people into your home. But Megan, can I just say on this, this is the problem with the royal family trying to go woke. I mean, this charity that she runs is a Black Lives Matter funded charity. And this is where the royal family is so desperate to be. They're so scared of being accused of racism. They're leaning in to some of these extremists and look at where it's result, what it's resulted in. Well, and I think it's interesting that this woman um, who claims that she's been the, the victim of racism has obviously lied already. She's been caught in at least one lie. I saw this on your show where she said publicly that she had never tweeted about Megan. We can play that so the audience can hear it themselves. She apparently didn't realize we can see your tweets. They're not private. Here she is at at a minimum misstating. Uh, Others might say an outright lie. Here it is. I think you've previously tweeted about Mega, the treatment of Megan. Is are you feeling that this this actually makes makes you think that some of what Megan said about the way she was treated must have been bang on? I have never tweeted about Megan. I have not joined that conversation and I won't do that now because as I said, the focus needs to be on what happened within Buckingham Palace a couple of days ago. Okay, so not only did she do the tweet that you talked about accusing uh, her in-laws of domestically abusing Megan, but on this is also from your reporting, May 7th, 2022, she tweeted out Harry and Megan won't be allowed on the balcony. This is, I think, for the Platinum Jubilee. Uh, They're in a completely different category to Andrew. He's linked to sexual crimes. Harry married and had children with a black woman an all exclusively white balcony. The only black people banned racism in all caps. Honestly, these people are idiots for inviting this person to the to the Buckingham Palace. So I have difficulty conjuring up too much sympathy for them. Like, what did you think was going to happen? What did, did you think she was your fan? Did you think she wasn't going to stab you in the back? Uh, and I don't know what happened with this lady in waiting, but this was a disaster waiting to happen. And now I don't know whether she's consciously trying to cover up the fact that she was a hater before she ever stepped foot in there or she doesn't have a close tether on the truth just as a natural default. But either way. She tweets out this, quote, transcript of the discussion, Dan. And I'm like, oh, there's a transcript. OK, let's see. There's not a transcript. It's she's calling it as transcript. It's her own recollection of what happened. But we don't actually know what was what went down between the two of them. Well, exactly. Or if it was a transcript, Megan, that would suggest that she has entered Buckingham Palace with a recording device, which would lend to the other theory that actually she went in looking for something to go wrong. Oh, interesting. I guess that's also possible. I mean, I would say according to her quote- It could could be either. It's it's either her recollection, which could be untrue, or she's recorded the conversation, which suggests that perhaps she has an agenda. Her quote transcript is very detailed and does, it makes you think she had a recording device on her because I'll read it to the audience. First of all, she wants credit when she first releases it for saying, I have no wish to name and shame her. That would be just as bad. We prefer that this be handled kindly. But her little transcript has the initials Lady S.H. So it's like, mm. take a rocket scientist. 
<laughs> like what's the, and then one line for Queen C. <laughs> oh, whoever. Anyway, okay, so the transcript is just kind of bizarre. She has Lady SH saying, Where are you from? Me. Sista space. SH. No, where do you come from? Me. We're based in Hackney. SH. No, what part of Africa are you from? And by the way, Dan, just for context, as I understand it, this is an event at which they were talking about the global problem of abuse of that women suffer. So there this it it might actually make some sense for her to be trying to determine what part of this global problem this woman is speaking, on, you know, speaking to. Right. Like I can understand actually wanting to know where you're coming from and whose domestic issues are you telling us about? Like, I have no idea what was in this woman's head, but I do want to at least point that out. Uh, no, where do you come from? We're based in Hackney. No, what part of Africa are you from? I don't know. They don't. They didn't leave any records. S.H. Well, you must know where you're from. I spent time in France. Where are you from? Me. Here. U.K. S.H. No, but what nationality are you? Me. I'm born here and I'm British. S.H. No, but where do you really come from? Where do your people come from? Me. My people? Lady, what is this? S.H. Oh, I can see that I am going to have a challenge getting you to say where you're from. When did you first come here? I mean, this is definitely cringy. Uh, and me, lady, I'm a British national. My parents came here in the 50s when S.H. Oh, I knew we'd get there in the end. You're Caribbean. I don't know where. How did she glean Caribbean from my parents came here in the 50s? But OK, me. No, lady, I am of African heritage, Caribbean descent and British nationality. That appears to be the end of it. So the whole thing is just I have no idea what this woman's motives were, but it seems like she's genuinely trying to figure out where this woman is from. And it, it could not be because, oh, my God, you're black and you're here. It could just be because, hey, we're trying to figure out where all the various representatives who are here speaking on behalf of this issue. What connection? What what part of the world do you have a connection to? I have no idea because this woman, like the rest of the royal family, doesn't speak. Indeed. And look completely it's an un if we believe that transcript is correct it was an uncomfortable conversation no one is trying to deny that i think where there is a real issue is the fact that immediately the royal family prince william prince charles and i have to remind you megan prince william uh this is his godmother so this is not only his grandmother's best friend it is his own godmother he immediately throws her under the bus and says racism isn't acceptable. Our uh, Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, who is, of course, of Asian origin, uh, last night speaks out and says racism isn't acceptable. And my issue is that that is immediately assuming that Lady Hussey was racist for having this conversation. I think it was an uncomfortable conversation. Clearly, there was some sort of personality clash going on there. And Lady Hussey should have realized, hang on a moment. I'm just going to walk away from this. This isn't going to lead to anywhere good. But I will stress again, she's an 83-year-old woman from another generation who was used to serving uh, the late Queen Elizabeth II, who was the opposite of racist and who would never have prescribed the idea of having a racist in her inner circle. I mean, the right. Queen's life work was connected to the Commonwealth and improving the lot of folk in Africa and folk in the Caribbean and folk in the Pacific region. It's just so unfortunate, I think, that an incident like this happens. Yeah, a bad conversation, maybe something that's a little bit embarrassing, maybe something, Megan, that even could have warranted a personal apology. But that's not what we've got here. We've got cancellation 
and humiliation of an 83-year-old woman Mm. on a global scale for what was an uncomfortable and maybe slightly inappropriate conversation. To me, and this is my personal opinion, and many others may differ, differ, but to me, I didn't see any evidence there that Lady Hussey is a racist, and I certainly didn't see any evidence that she subjected Fulani to abuse at Buckingham Palace, which is what she is now claiming. It's like, can't, after 60 years of service, just toss this octogenarian out with a no thank you. I mean, it's just, it feels mean. It feels cruel as opposed to she's been spoken to. She understands what she would like to, the opportunity to apologize directly, which they've said, but this woman's not granting it. Yeah. And I think, Megan, for me, this sums up the real problem that William and Charles have. Because if they try and outwoke Harry and Meghan, they are going to fail. The Queen knew that she didn't have to dive into every social media controversy or tabloid storm. There was a time and a place to get involved. And I personally feel that William and Charles are going down a very dangerous path here. The moment that the mainstream media jump on a story and claim racism, within hours, they've committed a woman who has committed 60 years uh, of service and is William's godmother to purgatory. And I personally think they have to understand this is going to happen a lot now. There are a lot of people who are on the side of Harry and Meghan who are looking to try and prove that the royal family is racist. I mean, we saw it in Boston with Kate and William the other night where they had to sit by and watch this local Boston official lecture them about colonialism and about the need for reparations. So personally, I think the royal family have to take a step back and not dive in to every woke scandal uh, because otherwise, this is could I, I just think it's a slippery, slippery slope. slope. Yeah, it's, slippery slippery slope. it's not slope. it's not a winnable war. It, the, the whole point of the no, other side is to no, destroy no. you. It's just to destroy you. Um, before I, we go, meantime, you've got Harry. Harry, as far as I know, the only current member of the royal family to ever don a swastika <laughs> being honored as an anti-racist at the oh. R.F. Kennedy Human Rights Annual Ripple of Hope Award Gala. It happens next week. You cannot make this up. It's being hosted by Alec Baldwin, who this year killed a woman on the set of his movie. <laughs> He's going to honor I mean, them. Well, you have to laugh. It's so bizarre. You have to laugh. I like to correct me if I'm wrong, but Harry not only wore a Nazi uniform for Halloween when he was younger, but also was openly accused of making racist statements about the, his service mates over there in Afghanistan, a Pakistani uh, member of his of his troop or his squad. I don't know what, what, how it's referred to in, um, in Great Britain. But I mean, now this guy, why? Because he married Meghan. Now he gets an anti-racist award from the Kennedys. I, know. I mean, Harry is literally the only senior member of the royal family who has had to apologize twice for racist incidents. The Nazi uniform and the use of the p word i don't even use that word it is so offensive in the uk it's really the equivalent of the n-word he used it he was caught on video using it he is now winning an anti-racism award and you can understand megan and obviously we have no proof of this and we have had no way to know there is no way to know but you can understand why there is at the very least from uh folk close to william and kate a suspicion about oh, why has this Fulani story exploded this week? Mm-hmm. It's very helpful for Megan 
and for Harry, because even if they don't mention this incident on stage, and there are fears that they may do so, but even if they don't, you know that everyone else is giving a nudge, nudge, wink, wink, and saying, oh, that racist royal family, that terrible lady hussy, she just proved it, didn't she? So the timing, Mm. Megan, is very convenient. It's on, for sure. It is on, and the royal family's got um, the seed that they planted to deal with now. Uh, Good luck with that. Dan, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Oh my goodness, it's been so great to be here, Megan. Thank you. I love love Dan. The, The brilliant Dan Wooden, everybody. Check him out on GB News. And when we come back, we are staying international with two brilliant young women who I am really looking forward to talking to. They have more to say on this, this Lady Susan Hussey story. Uh, and on the Dutch farmers. One of our guests is from the Netherlands and is living this firsthand. So we'll get into all of it in just a couple seconds. Don't go away. Here you are. BPM's high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Ye West, formerly known as Kanye West, is back to being banned on Twitter. And for you could really argue good reason. <laughs> we have a lot to guess to, to get to with my next guests, political commentators Dominique Samuels from England and Ava Vlardingerbrook from the Netherlands. Ava, Dominique, great to have you guys here. Thank you Thanks so for having much me. for having me. All right. So, uh, Ava, I hope I didn't mess up your last name too badly. Vlardingerbrook. No, not at all. Not at all. I'm well aware it's a difficult name, even for the Dutch. So, okay. okay. Well, this is so perfect because I think, Dominique, you were recently in the Netherlands and Ava, you live there. And I was just there this time last week. I was there and I was on a Dutch farm. So uh, we'll get to that in one second. Uh, But we've got to start where I left it off with my first guest, Dan Wooden, and this this race racism row inside Buckingham Palace with this woman who was very clearly an activist who hated the royal family, but somehow got an invitation to go into the palace. Hello, screeners. Hello. You can find a lot of women who care about domestic violence who don't come in hating everyone she's about to meet. (laughs) This is just dumb. This is just bad PR. Um, Okay, so they bring her in and her name is Ngozi Fulani. And originally she says she had this racism row where this uh, lady in waiting kept pressing her on. Where do you come from? Where do your people come from? My my people, lady? What is this? When did you first come over here? And, and she's British. So she's taking offense at this grilling by the lady. Then the next day she comes out and she tweets the first day she tweeted. I had a mixed I have mixed feelings about how it went um, at Buckingham Palace. And she sort of says this woman approached me. This is what the conversation was. And she releases the quote transcript. The next day she tweets out. It is not our wish to reveal the person involved, though she's already identified her as Lady S.H. It is the system that needs to be revised. Yes, the person was offensive, but it serves no purpose to name and shame her. It would make us just as bad. We prefer that this be handled kindly. Well, since then, that was November 30th, this woman has spent, I mean, she's on a media tour 
a bonanza of media telling everyone who will listen how racist this woman was, how much abuse it was project. It was prolonged racism. I felt very unwelcome. I felt attacked. Uh, And that whole like I it serves no purpose to name and shame thing that's gone out the window once she realized that there were television cameras who wanted to talk to her about it. So I'll start with you on it, Dominique. What do you make of the whole dust up? I think it's really driven by an agenda. And of course, the left wing press are just completely jumping all over it. And I think that agenda is obviously one that supports uh, Harry and Meghan's stories of racism, uh, you know, from the royal family within the palace. For me, again, it's this idea that just because someone says they've been a victim of racism we should just immediately believe it and not question it and of course when you actually delve deeper into the story it's not as clear-cut as as it may seem people assume you know it's an 80 year old woman she she must have been racist she must have, have, have not wanted um Ngozi there but you know when you make an outward effort you make a concerted effort to look like you come from a different country you know we can see clearly her cultural hair her cultural dress her ancestry is clearly very important to her and she's put that on display how can you then not expect someone to ask you where you're from that would suggest that perhaps you're not as proud of your ancestral heritage as as you claim or that you're there with an agenda looking for a problem and looking to cause trouble. And I feel like it's a bit of both with a lot of ethnic minorities, whether purposely or not, because looking at the quote-unquote transcript that she posted, it seemed that she was being deliberately obtuse, that lady was asking where she was from. I've been asked countless times, not just by white people, actually very little by white people, but from other ethnic minorities. For example, when I'm in a taxi and the taxi driver who's from, say, Pakistan, for example, asks me where I'm really from, I don't get offended. I don't get my back up. I don't start tweeting about it. I'll just simply say, do you mean ethnicity? State my ethnicity, which is Jamaican and English. We have a lovely old conversation and move on. No one needed to be offended. But she was clearly looking to be offended. Thank you. That is so exactly right. That's and and all the woke are. I mean, it's like you're on quicksand when you're talking to a woke person. Everything you say around every corner is going to be judged through this un- unforgiving lens. Um, I will say to this, even uh, our my friend Constantine Kissin, he tweeted out a very funny tweet. It's got him in like a, a kerchief with a tie underneath. Um, and he writes, from now on, I'm going to walk around dressed like this. And, cha- and he is Russian, by the way, Ukrainian. And he's Russian. And he's married to a Ukrainian. And change my name to Vladimir Vladimirovich Vladimirovich. Sorry, butchered that. <laughs> and if you ask me where I'm really from, I'm going to report you for a hate crime. <laughs> I mean, he's got a point. It's not, you know, the the lady may have been genuinely curious based on how uh, her guest was presenting herself and what they were there for, which was a, a global look at domestic violence against women. I, I totally agree. I think I totally agree with Dominic here. Also, I think this just is I, I mean, this is so disingenuous. The whole thing coming, showing up head to toe, dressed in African dress, and then being offended and saying that you are abused for being asked where you're from, I think it's just, it it, it must have been a setup. I can't imagine it's anything else. And then to go into the media and and talk about it, it's it's 
also, it's just, I would say it's almost offensive to anyone who really is a victim of abuse, that you go and claim mm. that you've been abused by being asked where you're from. I mean, I'm not even going to say, oh, this might have been an awkward situation or, oh, this is an elderly woman who may not know. I think it is a totally valid question to ask, considering the the, the things that she was wearing. And in general, just why would we criminalize the idea that you can ask someone where they're from. Why is that a bad thing? Mm -hmm. I know we used to do it all the time because you're curious. You want to find out somebody's background. How else do we learn about people who we can tell might not be here or we have a suspicion might not uh, have been born here? It, you, it's fun. It's like you, it's an opportunity to learn about their backgrounds. You know, you're Dutch. I'd love to know more about the Netherlands. <laughs> like, what's wrong with that, Dominique? You're in England. Like what from England? I, I'd like to know more about it. But now the woke, thanks to the woke, even going there is a sin that shows you're a bigot. Uh, this woman, you've you referenced it a couple of times, and Dan, what referenced it? I'll just play the sound, but this is how Ngozi Falani now speaks about the incident that she, you know, originally said she didn't want to name and shame. But here she is talking about how bad it was, SOT 12. We just want to bring it back to the 16 days of activism. This is about violence against women and girls. And although I didn't experience physical violence, what I feel I experienced was a form of abuse. Okay, so it's a form of abuse, she says. And then she she also told the BBC that it soon dawned on me very quickly. This was nothing. This had nothing to do with her capacity to understand. This was her trying to make me denounce my British citizenship. Did you get that, Dominique? Is that is that your takeaway? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, wow. Uh, this level of paranoia is scary and you know I don't mean to be harsh here and I know this might sound harsh but I really question her mental capacity to actually be able to be a mentor to other women when she's going around with that level of, of paranoia how would you even know that Lady Hussey was trying to make you denounce <laughs> your British citizenship what is she talking about and again on Good Morning Britain, her ancestry is on full display. Your everyday black British person does not go around dressed like that. Mm -hmm. Just being honest here, I don't go around dressed like that. She It suggests that she's very proud of where she's from. So she should have been wanting to shout it from the rooftops, but clearly yeah. not. She had an agenda and really the usual suspects have just jumped all over it. And I, I'm sure she's extremely happy with herself She's uh, she's she's proven Megan's point. However, quite interestingly, there are some tweets going around. These are alleged tweets. I'm not, you know, verifying them or saying that they're true. But apparently a mixed race woman who asked for help from Sister Space, which is Ngozi's charity, she claims she actually faced discrimination for being mixed race. So it's quite ironic that Ngozi is is batting for Megan so so much in those uh, unearthed tweets that you showed. That's all wow. I'll say. And honestly, just to boot an 83 year old woman who with, you know, 60 years of loyal service to the royal family, which she did apparently for free, according to Dan, uh, just to boot her out for one unfortunate conversation where she may have, you know, just not understood where the lines are drawn in modern day conversation. It just it does telegraph something about where the royal family's going. And I'm not sure it's it's something good. And I was saying to Dan, Ava, that in the meantime, we've got Harry and Meghan being honored with an anti-racist award by the Kennedys. Um, they're going to honor them on Tuesday at an event at which Alec Baldwin, Alec Baldwin is 
is going to host. I mean, like I, I like Harvey Weinstein wasn't available. I don't like who. <laughs> oh, wait, no, he's not. <laughs> I just you can't the no. left. There's nothing you can do to get truly canceled on the left. They will resurrect you. They will give an anti-racism award to a guy who literally dressed like a Nazi for Halloween. <laughs> it's no problem. Oh, the list of left wing idiocracies is just endless. And that's what this is, right? It's all clown world. I mean, this 83 year old woman, really anyone who genuinely looks at what just happened here would, you know, think it's it's not. It's not a horrible crime to ask someone where they're from. Uh, Harry now being a spokesperson for anti-racism. Why? Because he married a woman who is mixed race. Is that it? You know, none of this makes sense. But that's, I guess, what is normal nowadays. Everything that is not normal is normal and the other way around. It's it's yeah, it's an upside down world. And that's the, the world that we live in, sadly. But meanwhile, these same, you know, wokesters will tell us that, no, a white person who marries a black person it absolutely can still be a racist and probably is, probably is actually. And even um, having a mixed race child or adopting a black child, if you're white, you're racist, too. That's colonialism. Remember, we heard even Ken- Kendry say that about Amy Coney Barrett, our Supreme Court justice, like with everybody else, especially people on the right. Loving black people, giving birth to a black baby. Uh, No, none of that gives you a pass. But if you're on the left side, right, if you're hairy, all your past racism can be excused because you married Meghan Markle and you're willing to show up to their stupid event. Right. But then that shows you again that this is just neo-Marxism, right? It's a a hierarchy of victimization. So if you're white, you're the perpetrator anyway. That's basically what this comes down to. And when we're talking about racist remarks, I don't think there is one single news article in the Dutch press where my blonde hair and blue eyes are not mentioned and then really? brought into relation to my my political views. So when you're when you look like me, then it's fine. Right. But the other way around, it's obviously you could never even mention it. So it is it shows you once again, these people have an agenda. It's a disingenuous agenda. It has nothing to do with anti-racism. It is a deeply racist agenda, but it just goes one way. That's all this is. Okay, now, speaking of isms, um, not racism in this case, but anti-Semitism, it was on full display yesterday. I couldn't believe I don't know if you watched the Kanye live stream on uh, or yay live stream on Alex Jones. I can honestly say it's the first time I ever sat down and watched like a full episode of Alex Jones. <laughs> I did interview him, so I watched a lot of clips of Alex, but the, but I'd never seen Alex Jones's like full live stream. It was insane. I was texting my producers like, if you're not watching this, you really should tune in. There's no chance we're not going to be covering this tomorrow. It was like it was it was bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. For those of you who missed it, here's just a little sample of what. Yay, who I should tell the watching audience, people who watch this on YouTube, he's got a black mask over his face. Looks like kind of a ski mask, like a fashionista's ski mask, kind of like Kim Kardashian wore when she wore Balenciaga to the Met Gala a couple years ago. It was I think it was a misogynistic look, misogynistic look they put her in. Anyway, here he is with his thoughts on Hitler. You're not a Nazi. You don't deserve to be called that and demonized. Well, I I see I I see good things about Hitler also. The Jew I love everyone and Jewish people are not going to tell me you can love um you know us and you can love what we're doing to you with the contracts and you can love what we're you know what we're pushing with the pornography. But this guy that invented highways, invented the very microphone that I use as a musician. You can't say out loud that this person ever did anything good. And I'm done with that. 
I'm done with the classifications. Every human being has something of value that they brought to the table, especially Hitler. Especially, especially Hitler. And I've just got to play you. This one is just I can't. It's 17. He actually has Alex Jones trying to convince him. I, I do think Hitler killed some people. OK, just listen to this. You know, it's like he had a really cool outfit and stuff, and he was a really good architect. And uh, and so you're in love with the with the with the with the with the architect the, the the look of it. And he didn't kill six million Jews. That's just like factually incorrect. Yeah, let's get the Ronald Reagan clip they showed me yesterday. Sorry, go ahead. Ronald Reagan said that too. Well, I think Hitler did target and kill some people. So I think you know. I think Obama killed Palestinians. No, I hear you. Here, here's where I think the frustration is. And Nick, you can comment on this. And Obama was not the first black president. He was another Jewish president. Oh, my God, Dominique. I mean, when you got Alex Jones, like, no, I, I definitely killed some people like Hiller. You know, I, this this is so disconnected from reality. I almost don't know what to say. Yeah, I mean, I am just completely done with Kanye, to be honest. I've defended yeah. him. I've tried to understand uh, where he's coming from, but I'm just completely done. To be fair, there were reports uh, with uh, Adidas employees when he was working, uh, obviously doing Yeezy with Adidas, that he was praising Hitler and making those sorts of comments um, to staff there. I didn't believe it because I, I didn't think that his message of love, of God, of Jesus, you know, reigning against Hollywood and them sexualizing his children. I didn't think the two aligned. Clearly, he is in a completely different reality, a completely different planet. I think with what he was saying, he forgets about proportionality. Of course, bad people can do some good things, but we're talking about people that were responsible for the deaths of millions of people, for the rape of women, for the torture of children. And there is no way that you can defend that level of evil. And for Kanye to talk so much about God and Jesus, at this point, I feel as though it's a cover um, for his own narcissism. I think he's extremely self-interested. And that was com confounded by the fact that he was also defending Balenciaga, doing interviews, still wearing Balenciaga, whilst at the same time waxing lyrical um, about the sexualization of his children and the anti-God agenda in Hollywood. He doesn't make sense. And I've, I've just completely washed, washed my hands of him right now. It's so if I'm true. Being it's so true. And he, he wants to blame, not that we're going to get into each one of his claims, but he wants to blame Jewish people for the the sexualization of his children, of his wife, even that the, the Kim's uh, having sex with Pete Davidson by her fireplace, uh, that the the Jewish people, the Jewish media moguls, you know, made her tweet that out. Meanwhile, if you want to know who sexualized Kim Kardashian, you should look at Kim Kardashian. You could look at her exactly. mother, Kris Jenner. And by the way, Kanye or yay, you can look at yourself. You can look at yourself because I saw you tweet out when Kim Kardashian did that naked photo spread for the whatever that magazine was we'd never heard of and said, I broke the Internet with her enormous naked bottom all greased up and her boobs all greased up and with some champagne glass. And uh, he tweeted it out with all night long. 
He had no problem with his wife being sexualized on the Internet. That's her bread and butter. He was married to her for some 10 plus years. So please spare me. okay? and by the way, the kids, the the only reason we know what the kids look like is because the parents have allowed it for all their lives to the point where the kids are now trying to hold up signs in front of their faces as Kim drags them to another fashion event. Um, I don't know whether they want to be on camera or not, but they are thanks to the parents. Anyway, that's a separate issue. But Ava, the the. The attempt to draw a moral equivalence between Adolf Hitler and Barack Obama shows you how far gone this guy is. Oh, it's absolutely insane. I mean, this is reality stranger than fiction, for sure. And it's it's I mean, it's it's also it's disgusting, obviously, but it's such a disappointment that once again, you know, you can never we can never put our hope clearly in anyone coming from Hollywood in general or, or the pop industry or the entertainment industry. Because right. I, I mean, when he did that interview with Tucker Carlson, there were some things that he was saying, for example, about abortion that I thought was, you know, really profound coming from someone from that industry. And I was like, oh, this is great. And Dominique, I heard you say like, oh, you know, we wanted to defend him. But this is obviously where you just draw the line. There's no coming back from this. Well, that's why I mean, and I love Tucker. He's a good friend, but he he should have included the anti-Semitic remarks in the interview because that would have shown us. Right. Like it. You, it's almost a red flag, right? It is not almost. It is a red flag for the audience at home hearing all, him say all these things that are like, you know, sweet nothings to conservatives. But if, if he had put that stuff in there about his because he made comments to Tucker, too, about that were anti-Semitic, it would have been a red flag. Like, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's not you know throw our arms, our arms around this guy. There's something deeply problematic going on here. But it you know, whatever. Kanye has exposed himself repeatedly on show after show after show. There was no suppressing it. There was no hiding it. There was no getting it under control. He clearly feels it very deeply. Um, And you raised an interesting point about the Balenciaga thing. Dominique, what? So he did defend them. And meanwhile, this this organization with that that's paid him, that's paid his wife, but they dumped him in the wake of his earlier anti-Semitic comments. He's defending them despite the fact that they're actually pushing child pornography, child pornographic like images in their latest ad campaign for which now they apologize. But clearly they were the ones who approved it. Yeah, clearly they were the ones that approved it. Now, you know, there's media reports about a twenty five million dollar lawsuit for the production company. I think it's called Group Six. Um, But at the end of the day. There are extremely senior figures at Balenciaga that would have had to approve this campaign. And, you know, you could perhaps deny culpability if it was just one incident, but there are several repeated, you know, ongoing references to child abuse, child torture, child pornographic material littered all throughout the campaign. Uh, Balenciaga's main stylist, she's called Lotta Volvoca. Uh, she locked her Instagram page, but if you just have a quick clickety-click on her Instagram page, you can find a host of disturbing, sick images, all featuring children, satanic ritual um, abuse, rituals, blood, teddy bears, which featured uh, in the campaign. Bunny rabbits also featured in the campaign. She was also pictured with Kanye West, actually. Um, So it's obvious where these ideas came from. So for them to just act like this was some, you know, attempt to defame them or make them look bad by random photographers or production companies, I think is a complete fallacy. 
Gladly, though, uh, nobody's letting them get away with this. Although I am noticing in the press uh, of nice stories aimed at making Kim Kardashian look like she hasn't completely sold her soul to Balenciaga. Um, we know that's the case, but there you go. That's Hollywood. When it mm. comes to false accusations of racism, they'll scream and shout. But when it comes to actual child pornographic material and references to child abuse, they'll turn a blind eye and you'll have people even like Kanye West coming out and defending them and still wearing their clothes after the controversy um, has gone full blown and viral on social media. Yes. The the lawsuit they, that Balenciaga has filed against the uh the people who put together the one ad campaign, they're not denying that the one is showing the little four year old girls with the BDSM teddy bears and the cocktail glasses around them and all of the chains and collars and all that. They're not denying that they that they're responsible for that. It's one showing a purse, a handbag that I guess was both Adidas and Balenciaga made or inspired. And behind that purse is uh, child pornography. Uh, decision from the U.S. Supreme Court and a book that features what, you know, it's not actual, but what appears to be castrated toddlers covered in blood behind it. Mm -hmm. Nice ad for your handbag. So they're claiming, oh, we didn't know in that one that that's what you did. But but that my team was searching and found a Vice article from 2016 um, that that quotes the creative director who's at issue here. Demna is his last name. And Lada, the woman you m- mentioned, she hasn't been with him since 17, but she was th- with them then. He says, quote, someone wrote that Lada, the stylist, Gosha, who's the designer, and I grew up on child pornography and radiation from Chernobyl, which is why we're so fucked up. Denma laughs. In this Vice article, I mean, it's this was their thing. They knew that people it was so obvious it was being identified by people in the fashion industry. Well, prior to right now, it just got worse and worse and worse until the mainstream people who don't pay attention to fashion and its images saw what they saw and said, oh, my God, what have you done? But they've been getting away with this for years, Ava. Yeah, that's I think that's the problem. I mean, obviously, this was highly intentional. Like you said, the Supreme Court case, the tape where it said Baal with double A, the reference to the demon who they sacrificed children to, you know, all of this. I don't believe for a second that this slipped anyone's view. You know, this was all highly intentional, but they went too far. The people now saw it for what it is. But obviously, these types of people, the two individuals that we just mentioned, but in general, uh, Hollywood, pop culture, a lot of pop stars flirt with all sorts of satanic rituals and ideas. So this one just crossed the line for too many people. You know, it was too out in the open. Uh, the devil wears Balenciaga uh, is is now a fact, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's something that nobody can deny. But I think it's a good thing that for once, at least, I mean, Hollywood is still very, very quiet, obviously. Um, but that general, like in general, ordinary people now see what's going on here. What type of sinister and sick people are behind this? Because even if it's not graphic, you know, child pornography, it's obviously something that glorifies it or at least hints towards it and flirts with it and promotes it. And if you don't stop there and say no. We're not doing this in any way, shape or form that I don't think that we have a society or that you can call a civilization. You know, that's mm-hmm. where you should draw the absolute line. Yeah, it's not hard. 
uh, to speak out against this. And it's not Kim Kardashian does not need to reevaluate her relationship with Balenciaga. There's nothing to reevaluate. You have all the facts you need. You just don't give a shit. That's that's the truth. That's what's happened. She wants the she wants to be adorned in their dresses and she wants the money from the deal. And it doesn't matter how much money she already has or how many dresses she can afford without them. She, it's a vanity play for her. Uh, and not to mention mm. Nicole Kidman and Bella Hadid, who are featured in the ad. Nicole is in the in the latest ad campaign, hasn't said a word. Where's her? Where's where is she? Why hasn't she said anything? Why does she get a pass? She doesn't. Um, all right, let's switch gears because I really want to talk about the Dutch farmers. So we went there with our family for uh, American Thanksgiving and uh, we kind of did our pre-celebration before we left. And I was totally delighted by the Netherlands. I, Holland was so beautiful. We were in Amsterdam. The people were absolutely warm, loving, kind. Everybody spoke English. So by the way, to American tourists, if you're thinking about going there, it's very easy. Literally, everybody speaks English. Um, and it's just totally charming. It's a city on canals and it's romantic and the food was great and everything. But I was interested in the Dutch farmers and we went intentionally to a Dutch farm. And our purpose in going was we made cheese and did sort of the touristy thing. Here's a picture of the farm we went to. And you'll see some there. I'm making my cheese. Um, my kids were with me. My husband, we all made it, it was delicious. We made some Gouda. And um, we talked to the Dutch farmer about this crisis, about how the government is shutting down thriving farms in the name of fighting climate change. His farm was not one of them. He was very thankful to tell us because they were not near one of the designated sites that there's apparently certain sites around Holland where they're saying, if you're near this, you're getting shut down first. And so he wasn't yet on the list, but he could feel it coming. And so, Ava, explain what's now happening uh, and what the government's doing that has the farmers taken to the streets to protest. Right. Well, I'm very happy to hear that you had a fun time in my country. And I I would say this... Your description is right. The Netherlands consists of a really nice people. We have great people here, but we have a terrible government. Our government consists of a bunch of of liars and inhumane thieves. So what they're doing actually now is on the basis of EU regulations surrounding nitrogen emissions, uh, our government is going to expropriate our farmers. And they're actually going to expropriate over 3,000 farms uh, until 2030. And so this is all under the guise, again, of this nitrogen crisis, which, frankly, is nothing but a manufactured crisis. It doesn't exist apart from on paper. And all of these people, you know, the Dutch farming industry is a huge industry. We are an incredibly tiny country, but we are the second largest exporter of agricultural products after the United States. I mean, that is something. We are good at this stuff. And a lot of farmers have been in this business, not just themselves, but their their ancestors, oftentimes for centuries on end. And now suddenly we have a government that says, oh, there's climate change. And by the way, you are going to have to give up your land, not to the market, you know, not for you to keep it, but for you to give it to us. So that should tell you everything that you need to know. There is a hidden agenda behind this. And it, it has two facets, I would say. The Dutch government needs more land because we have an ever-growing population, not because the Dutch people are having a ton of babies, but because we have open borders and we have about a thousand migrants coming in every single week. 300,000 we had this year coming in. So we have a housing crisis. Wow. New houses need to be built. Where are you going to put those people, right? Everything is completely full. So they need new land. 
that's one thing that they now want the farmers gone for. Obviously, they're not saying that, but it is the truth. And the second thing I think is that this is a general tendency that you see all throughout the Western world. There's an attack on farmers, I think, because farmers pose a threat to the globalist institutions that want to push something like the Great Reset. Uh, if you control the food supply, you control the people. And farmers obviously stand in the way of that. They are a very independent group that function um, self-sufficiently besides the government. And you can't have that if you are trying to control people and their food supply. So mm -hmm. there is a very sinister agenda, once again, hiding behind this. And the result is that we now have a government that thinks that once they say it, you are just going to have to give up your property. These are your rights that are being taken away in this case, the farmers' rights, under the pretext of, again, a crisis that they can just create out of thin air. The the farmer that we spoke to said that the farmers who are being targeted, you know, some 3,000 of them are being offered 120% the value of their land. And I don't know how they figure out the value, how they, you know, I'm, I'm going to guess that they're getting lowballed on that assessment. But how do they expect the farmers to live on an ongoing basis? You get a one-time payout. And then how do you continue paying your bills unless that's a massive number, like winning the lottery, that you can just retire on from now to the, you know, it could be decades that you're still around and alive and need to support yourself and your family. So how do they expect the farmers to live on? They don't give a rat's ass. Excuse my French, but really, our oh, government okay. doesn't care about the the, the interests of its own people. It caters to a different agenda. It caters to the European Union. It caters to, obviously, in this case, not uh, democratically unelected people. The people who are pushing this in those institutions in the European Union are people that nobody ever voted for. So whatever happens to those farmers is none of our government's concern, clearly. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing this. They would be listening to the farmers, their pleas, and also to people in general who have stood up against this and all of the protests and the international outrage that it has caused. You know, clearly... This government does not play by the rules. They don't care about your rights. They don't care about you. They don't care if you starve. I almost feel like that is the goal if you see what they are doing in a time where there's already a lot of issues with the food supply, with the, with the supply chain in general. Why on earth would you start attacking farmers in this time? Right, right. And, the, and literally, I mean, it's getting close to attacking. Um, the farmers got out there and protested. And you know what it takes to make a farmer go out and protest? For the most part, they want nothing to do with this kind of public display. You know, they tend to be more private people. They farm their land. They are in touch with nature and God in a way that a lot of people aren't. But they're upset and they're out there and the protests are being disbanded. They're not allowed, right? They've got to move on. They can't have their say. I don't know. It just kind of reminds me of when they crack down on the truckers in Canada. It's like when you see truckers come out, look at this, uh, and and try to make a point, or you see farmers come out and try to make a point. Can't you? Can't they have their moment? Like let them say, have their say their piece, Ava. Yeah. Well, no. Even in the in the summer, they even shot at them, and they shot at a 16 year old boy that was there at the protest, actually driving away from the protest scene. So you know the whole concept again. Our government does not respect fundamental rights, does not respect property rights. It, they don't care about these farmers whatsoever. They just want the land. So none of the rules that used to be in place are valid anymore. Our government just does what it wants. 
And so th- this, 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 this is not liberal democracy. You know, they can say mm-hmm. that. But if you're only allowed to protest when the government says it's all right, then you obviously don't have a right to protest. And that's exactly that's right. what's going on here. You know, you, know, um, you would expect this maybe in in, in China or in other far ends of the world, yeah. but not in, in Western liberal democracies. But then again, I don't think that we can we can say that we have that anymore when this is our reality. Dominique, one of the reasons why we care so much about it, I mean, to be honest, is we worry whether the Netherlands is the canary in the coal mine. You know, it's like we worry this could happen in the United States. We worry this could happen in the UK. Like, is this just the first to go? Because, you know, I mentioned there's nothing wrong with with Prince Harry, uh, sorry, Prince uh, William drawing attention to climate change. That's that's a nonpartisan issue. You know, yeah, okay, we see climate change. Very reasonable people are saying it's happening and there's steps we can all take that are reasonable, make sense, you know, to try to address it. And then there are the extremists who are like, no more cows. Everybody's a vegan. Get rid of your SUVs and like the California law that just said we, we can't have uh, gas cars anymore. We're going to all have, be driving electric vehicles and 13 states follow California. And I'm in one of them. So I got to kiss my gas guzzling car goodbye, which I really love within the next few years. Um, but anyway, we worry this is the canary in the coal mine. And I do wonder whether this is a preview of what's coming to, to your country and to our country, but, uh, you know, and more Western countries? I mean, of, of course. And I think what's important to say is that the situation that's going on in the Netherlands, you know, with the farmers that are fighting 3,000 um, of their farms being torn away from them by the Dutch government, this is a precursor of what is to come because it seems that these climate obsessives are very, very focused on our food supply at a time when our food supply is extremely insecure globally. So why they'd be doing this now, uh, which will be sure to make food price inflation worse, 100%, is extremely peculiar. But you mentioned Prince William. My problem with Prince William and his climate virtue signaling is that these people that do seem soft and nice, you know, they're just concerned about the planet, they seem to be aligning themselves with people that do believe in ripping 3,000 farms away from honest working people. And that is the problem. Climate change is being used, I believe, as a mirage to tear people's rights away. And it's wrong. They want to replace rolling hills, farms with, you know, wind turbines and solar panels. They want to create some sort of dystopian hell. And people have every right to speak out about it. And I think that unless people start speaking out about this, it's going to be too late. So the iron fist of tyranny is coming down hard and it's coming down fast. And it's being done in the name of climate change. I think we are repeatedly using crises to be able to cover up for a real agenda, which is control. And and like you said, every normal person, I I think, can can acknowledge that I think that the climate has changed as a result of human behaviour. But I do not subscribe to the idea for one second that we're in some sort of crisis that means we have to tear land and livelihood away from Mm. people. I think that very idea is dangerous. And I think organisations such as the European Union, which, thank God, the UK left, are perpetuating this dangerous idea and these dangerous authoritarian um, policies, and they need to be stopped. You know, Eva, I, I mentioned to my audience last week or earlier this week that one of the great things about about Holland is 
you go over there. It is a, it is a country that's underwater. Amsterdam is underwater. It's below sea level. And Michael Schellenberger has done a lot of work on this saying it's not great. You know, you, we don't especially if you have oceanfront property, which I don't. But if you do, um, you don't really want the seawater to rise two feet. <laughs> we understand this is bad. And, you know, this could cause a lot of life loss and food loss and so on. However, he's been saying there is a modern day example of how we can make that work, even in the worst case scenario, the Greta Thunberg extremist example. And all we need to do is look at the Dutch to see how they've done it. The engineers over there have figured out a way to live, notwithstanding the fact that they are underwater. Right. Yeah, there's this really fun saying. I don't know if you know it. It goes, God created the Dutch and the Dutch created the Netherlands because we didn't just build amazing dikes to protect us from, well, being flooded because we are below sea level uh, in most places in the country. But we also created land from the sea. So, yes, that's one of the, the things that we should be very proud of here in the Netherlands and our Dutch heritage. And I do agree with you. There are obviously technological answers to all of these questions. Uh, same thing goes with the farmers. There are technological answers to lowering nitrogen emissions if you think that nitrogen emissions are a problem to begin with. But the thing is, is that the answer with our elites never lies in those things. They never allow those uh, solutions to be presented. Same thing with the farmers now. The solution always lays in you giving up your rights, not them, but you. Mm. So that is what happens every single time. And the only difference I would say with uh, tyranny in the past and tyranny now is that now they use pretty words to hide it and people fall mm -hmm. for it. So like Dominique just said, you know, climate change is being used as a vehicle to take people's right away. We've seen the same thing with COVID. We will see the same th thing maybe with things like transhumanism in the future. The moment that Western leaders create or talk about a crisis and say to people, the moral thing to do is X, Y, Z, which always, by the way, is give up your rights, then people will do it. And they, they've seen that they were very successful in that mm, in the past so, two to three years. You're so right. And I know the farmers in the in the Netherlands are saying, what about uh, aviation? Why, why aren't we talking, we don't talk about emissions. Why, why is there no crackdown on them? Why do we all have to give up our livelihoods? But they don't. It's just one example. Uh, all right, let me stand you by. We'll take a quick break. Really enjoying the discussion. Dominique and Ava stay with us uh, two minutes away for more with them. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. I want to talk about activists, continue the discussion about activists, because there was an incident. It just made news today in which, uh, hold on, I'm trying to pull it up. It was um, a pro-life group that was meeting in like their annual banquet, that kind of thing. And uh, they help women who have unplanned pregnancies deal with them and find a way for childcare and all that, all this stuff. Well, apparently this is upsetting to the pro-choice advocates who targeted them, who who got into the event stealthily um, 
And in the middle of this event at which they are trying to discuss and promote how do we take care of women with unplanned pregnancies who choose to have their babies, which any sane person should be able to find a way to support. This is what the pro-choice advocates did. Watch. You don't care about pregnant people. It's perfect. Even at the end, it's not pregnant women. The activists want you to know it's pregnant people. It's not. It's just whatever. Okay. So this goes on and on, right? Like the extremists trying to target. It's not even like I can see if you show up at a like an anti-choice event or like a pro-life march where you're really trying to change rights for women in different fight. Great. Do it. These people are trying to help women who find themselves in the position and actually just choose to have the baby that cannot be celebrated, has to be demonized and disrupted. What do you make of it, Dominique? Well, I think activists, if you can call them that, feel threatened. And I find it ironic that these people are called pro-choice because really it's just the choice that I agree with. And if you don't agree with that choice, which is to you know, abort your child, then you're demonized and painted as some kind of monster. The top and bottom of it is these people aren't necessarily trying to change um, anyone's life choices, but they're just trying to let women know that it's okay. You know, you may not be ready for a baby. You may not feel as though you're in a space to be able to have a baby, but I'm here to tell you that you don't have to kill your child. You can have it and we can help you. You know, anyone with half a brain cell can understand that that is is a good thing. Having a child is a good thing. Keeping a child is a good thing. And having support for that child is a good thing. And I think these sorts of people generally just feel threatened um, and maybe a bit guilty about their own life choices. And that's why they project them and their anger and their fear onto other people. That's all that's all that that I get from that. It was called the Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center, and it was their annual banquet. Uh, so the the pregnancy center in the same way we've seen now these pro-life um, family centers that help women get targeted, get firebombed over the past year. Our attorney general doesn't want anything to do with it. He's not going after most of these people. Um, it's just really distressing to me to see. I understand if, if you want to go uh, march against the pro-life march, you want to have your own big pro-choice march, which they do. I get all that. But there is no reason to demonize or disrupt the people who are trying to help women who do find themselves pregnant and choose to have the baby. It's absurd. Um, Okay, let's switch to politics in the minute that we have left. A couple minutes down in Georgia. We are going to have a runoff in the Herschel Walker, um, Raphael Warnock case. And I predicted going into this that if Senate control hung in the balance, which it doesn't, but if it did, that we would see a line so long it would look like the the New York City rockets of women coming forward to say Herschel Walker, Herschel Walker, he abused me, he impregnated me, he treated me badly, whatever, right? They they are dying to take Herschel Walker down. And it his this seat does matter, even though the Democrats already are going to control the Senate. Sure enough, as if on cue, the Daily Beast releases releases a new article, five new women coming forward with bad claims about Herschel Walker. And they're bad. They're bad. They're not recent, but they're bad about how he threatened them. He uh, hurt them. He took out a gun and, you know, wielded it in front of one. Um, And on it goes. What nobody is talking about is the fact that yesterday Fox News broke a story about his opponent, Raphael Warnock, and his 
support of, celebration of, embrace of, back in 1995 when he was a young pastor at his church, Louis Farrakhan. Louis Farrakhan, who is, speaking of anti-Semites, a rabid anti-Semite who can't stand Jewish people, who's referred to them as termites. We could go down the list of his anti-Semitic comments. So why is that okay? And do you think any any voters down in Georgia, you guys know what politics looks like, especially when the stakes are this high. Um, do you think anybody other than Fox News is going to report this? Ava? I'm sorry, I have to say that I don't know exactly who this person is, but what I can tell from what you're telling me <laughs> is that there's bias always, you know, when it comes to sexual violence or what what even a constitutes, I guess, a, a sexual transgression, depending on who the perpetrator is and what political field they're in. So, I mean, you know, that's that's something that I think is almost universal in the Western world. If it's someone on the right that is is accused of, of having done something transgressive, then it will be it will be in the media every day. If it is someone on the left, then they're going to be silent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's 100 percent what's going to happen. And um I mean, listen, I, I guess it was 1995, but his comments were really well known. They'd already they actually I think they'd been made within the past year. Dominique Farrakhan's comments about Jewish people uh, and Warnock embraced him and had him at the, at the church and celebrated him in a way that this would be all over the media if Warnock had an R after his name instead of a D. Oh, completely. I think when it comes to those on the left and those that dabble in that sort of, um, you know, black supremacist identitarianism. I think for the mainstream media and for the left, those are the sorts of views that are acceptable, they're palatable because they're wrapped up in this idea of perpetual black victimhood. But when it comes to someone like Herschel Walker, and you know, those allegations, those claims may indeed be true, but I think what you're trying to get out here is fairness and proportionality. Why is it that one person can support someone um, that may or may not be reprehensible, but the other side gets a free pass. And it's all about character assassination for them, especially when it comes to any sort of um, Republican. So I suppose we'll just have to see. But this story just keeps on being told again and again in our country, in my mm. country and yours, unfortunately. Now, speaking of politicians uh, who have sketchy histories, Justin Trudeau, I think, Ava, you were tweeting about this. Justin Trudeau is now doing some revisionist history, trying to claim he never attacked uh, people who don't want to get the covid vaccine by calling them names. So we you did a little truth bomb on him saying, you know, we've got the receipts. Here is the claim. And then butted to what he said. We did a voiceover because the the original insults are in French. Watch. Number of people have testified in this inquiry referencing your widely published comments and calling the unvaccinated racists and misogynists. And we have heard testimony in this inquiry about how some of your officials wanted to label protesters as terrorists. Would you agree with me that one of the most important roles of a prime minister is to unite Canadians and not divide them by engaging in name calling? Uh, I did not call people who were unvaccinated names. But there are also some people who are strongly opposed to vaccinations. That are extremists. Who don't believe in science, who are often misogynistic and often racist, too. That's amazing. That's amazing, Ava. 
I mean, I'm just, I was so baffled by the fact that this man has the audacity to just sit there knowing full well that there's literal footage of him saying these things and then still under oath say, no, no, I didn't. I didn't say those things about the unvaccinated. It's like, are you serious? But you know, like it's 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 funny. We're laughing about it, but it's a it's it's a horrible thing that these people feel like they're so infallible that they can just lie on their oath. You know, even though we all have seen the footage, we all know, we all have the receipts. So it shows you something about their mindset. It shows you that they think that they're infallible because they are never truly held accountable for the things that they yeah. do. Because Trudeau right. did much worse than just call them vaccinated don't... names. It's not that they don't misstep. It's that they don't get held to account for it. All right. Got to go up against the break. Dominique, Ava, such a pleasure. Thank you so much. I hope you come back. Uh, and we will be back next week. Have a great, great weekend. And um, I have got some fun things planned that I'm going to tell you about on Monday. I think you're going to get a kick out of it. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.